Hello and welcome to Romance Aloud, celebrating 60 years of the Romantic Novelist Association in the UK. I'm Ian Skillicorn and in this special podcast series, I'm talking to RNA members about their own books and the authors from the Association's 60-year history whose work means the most to them. This time, I'm delighted to bring you my interview with best-selling author Jules Wake, also writing as Julie Kaplan. When we spoke, I started by asking Jules if she'd always been a reader of romantic fiction, and if so, which romance authors she read growing up. Oh my goodness, I have been an avid reader since my dad taught me to read at the age of three, which was a bit of a disadvantage at school because the teachers refused to believe it at first. And then when they did, they just left me to my own devices. But I remember discovering Mills and Boone at the local library and taking out as many as I could at a time, whipping through them and taking them back the next day and the librarian saying, you can't possibly have read all of these. So yes, I've always loved romance and I think that's my first love. So in those days, I remember reading The Lucy Walkers, Oh, Charlotte Lamb um, and all the greats. But I absolutely adored Jilly Cooper. I don't know if you remember the series she did, Bella, Octavia, Imogen and Harriet. And and they really kicked off my love of romance and more more sort of contemporary style romance. And yeah, I've just been absolutely hooked ever since. Well, I know you actually started off working in PR. Can you tell us what your role was in that world? In that role, I wrote press releases and copy. And I never really thought of myself as a writer, to be honest. Um, But I'd always said, I mean, one of my neighbours from when I was 10 reminded me on Facebook many years later that I'd always said I was going to write a book one day. And then I think it was before Kindle, it was very difficult to get hold of everybody's books because they only have current books in bookshops and you kind of work the way through the library. And I kind of run out of the kind of books I wanted to read. So I thought, do you know what? I've got an idea for a story. I'm going to write a book. And it was ticking away at the back of my head, but I didn't actually do anything about it until I got made redundant from a job and I was on gardening leave and I got six months and thought, right, now's the time I'm going to write this book. And that's when I really started. I'd probably say that was about 14, 15 years ago. You've said that taking a six-week writer's course was a big turning point for you. Could you explain to us why that was? It was. I wrote the most fantastic three chapters. They were literary masterpiece, I tell you. And I was so proud of them. And my dad's quite interested in writing. He's a script writer. He's worked in television. So he said, do you want me to have a look at them? So I sent them off to him thinking, this is the best thing since sliced bread. It's absolutely wonderful. And um, to my absolute horror, my dad said, it's crap. (laughs) Those were the actual word he used. This is crap. (laughs) Which was a bit of a shock to the system. And at that point, there was a local evening class writing for profit or pleasure. So I decided, as it was crap, I ought to learn about how to do it if I really wanted to do it seriously. And I went along to this course. And on the very first day, the chap who was teaching it, he said, my name's Nick Cook and I'm a health and safety writer. And I thought, oh, my God, we've got to write one here. That is when I should own up and say that was a huge mistake of judgment because Nick was the most brilliant teacher and the most brilliant champion of people who wanted to write. And he taught me so much in those six weeks. And at the end of the six weeks, he said, unfortunately, the council aren't going to fund another course. This is the one and only. Um, But if you're keen to keep going, then you could join a local writer's circle. There's a big one in St. Albans, Verulam Writers, or there's another one in Watford. And they were both big and they've got well-established writers in them. And everyone in the class was a little bit dubious about this. So I foolishly stuck my hand up and said, what's to stop us starting our own writing circle? And the Tring Writers Circle was born. 
And that is, in fact, how I met you, because I discovered you in Short Story Radio and invited you to come and talk to us one evening. And the rest is history. Yes, indeed, it was. It was a turning point in my career, too, um, quite a few years ago now, though. It was a long time ago, but you um, paid me for my very first piece of uh, published writing. Yes, you started it all. It's all your fault. (laughs) Maybe I should be getting some commission then. (laughs) I'll sort you out with a bottle of wine. Anyway, enough of that. We're here to talk about you. Can you tell us how long was it between writing your first novel and actually getting a book deal? I could wallpaper the entire house with rejections from agents. So what happened was I um, discovered the New Writers Scheme. And um, most people know what the New Writers Scheme is. But basically, for a very small fee, you can join and you can submit a manuscript for a professional appraisal as long as you submit it by the end of August. And so I joined and I submitted this manuscript to the New Writer Scheme. And in those days, you got two reads. So if the reader thought your um, manuscript was good enough, they would send it on to a second person for a second opinion. So my very first manuscript that I submitted, actually, the reader said, this is great. And it was submitted for a second read. Um, And they both said, this is absolutely wonderful. Great. You need to get an agent. So I submitted that manuscript to every agent under the sun and got nothing but rejections back. So having the new writer scheme said, yes, this is great, but not getting anywhere, there wasn't really anywhere else for me to go apart from to write another book, which is what I did because I wanted to stay in the new writer scheme. So I wrote a second book and got good feedback. I wrote a third book, got okay feedback. I wrote a fourth book and got okay feedback. And I wrote a fifth book. So I wasn't going to give up, um, but I'm still garnering rejections. But in between those five years or six years and writing the fifth book, I'd been part of the RNA and I've been to the conferences. I've networked with people and I heard about Chocolate, which was a small independent publisher that took books without an agent. But the only problem was that as part of their sort of USP, Chocolate liked you to include at least 10% of the story from the male point of view, which my book was all from the female point of view. And I thought, well, it's worth rewriting 10% or as I calculated by the time I'd finished 12% to rewrite the book and um, submit it, which is what I did. So I submitted it and um, it was accepted by Chocolate, which was great. And I thought I'd got it made. In the meantime, that fifth book, I was just in time to submit it to the New Writers Scheme. And my lovely reader said, if you don't get a publishing deal with this book, I'll eat my hat. So I submitted that book to an agent, um, several agents, and blow me, it was like buses. Been waiting for one for years. I submitted this one book to five agents and I got three responses straight away. And um, in the meantime, I've been chasing another agent who also came back. So I suddenly had four people who were interested. And anyway, to cut a long story short, I was at an RNA party and the agent that I had been chasing for a long time that I really wanted was at the party. So I approached her and uh, she took me on. So that's a very long winded history of how I got my first book published and then my subsequent publishing deal with what is an imprint of HarperCollins. And you know, with these interviews, I hear time and time again that perseverance really does pay off. Well, you write as Jules Wake and Julie Kaplan. Could you tell us why you've chosen to write under two names and what differences are there between the two? Julie Kaplan came about when my, my publisher said, look, 
you write really well about food and travel. Um, we really wanted to do a book, The Little Cafe in Copenhagen. They've come up with the title. And I immediately went, oh, I'm not sure about that, because there's lots of the little this and the, the little village farmhouse and everything. And it just seemed to be a real trend with those titles. And I was a little bit nervous about that. So I said, how about I do it under a different name? And Julie Kaplan's my maiden name. And I quite fancied the idea of my books being on the shelf with my school child name so that people who I went to school with would say, yes, remember her, especially the ones that bullied me. So... <laughs> And my editor suggested this title and they decided that they'd like a series and I came up with the other titles. And I have to say, it was a really smart, clever move on the behalf of my brilliant editor, Charlotte Ledger, because The Little Cafe in Copenhagen has been one of my best sellers. I think I've just sold it to the 11th country. It garnered me an RNA shortlist for the awards and it it really has boosted my writing career in ways that I couldn't have imagined. So Julie Kaplan, it's the Romantic Escape series. They're set in another country, and it's very much about a romance set against the backdrop of that country. But I'm trying to get over the ethos of the country and the food and the drink and the, and the local flavour. And I do an awful lot of research to make sure that comes across. And they're a little bit more lighthearted. There's a strong sense of community. There's a bigger cast of characters in them. Um, it's very strong on friendships. Whereas Jules Wake is becoming a little bit more sort of family, romance, warm community, but very much based in a local community in, in this country. And can you tell us anything about the book that you're working on at the moment? Yes, it's going to be World War II. So that's not a secret, um, but it is all about secrets. I discovered a very interesting piece of local history, which is a site that's on a par with Bletchley Park. So it's top, top secret. And it's only down the road from me. And I was absolutely fascinated by the story. And um, so it's it's um, seeded a whole idea about the secrets of this house. So I'm really looking forward to writing that. I've already done a lot of the research and um, I'm hoping to start writing that one very soon. But I also have another Julie Kaplan to write which will be coming out probably next January. Um, And that one's going to be set in Switzerland. There'll be lots of snow and chocolate. That sounds good to me. Now, can you tell us which author you've chosen to talk about for RNA60 and why have you chosen her? I want to talk about the delicious Katie Ford. I've chosen her not just because I absolutely adore her books and at least three of her books are on my comfort all time, have to have forever books that I will read and read again but also because having met her and spent quite a lot of time in her company when I was on the RNA committee, she's one of the loveliest, most generous people I've ever met. I mean, there are so many writers, but she supports all of us. I mean, she's absolutely amazing. And she's a really big name. She doesn't need to do this, but she's a genuinely very kind and very lovely lady. I feel quite honoured to say that I know her. Can you remember how and when you first came across Katie's writing? Well, I come from a family of avid readers, and I think the first time I came across her books, my stepmom had bought a couple, and I, I started reading them, and it was quite early on. I'm just going to flick through the publishing date here, because I've actually still got my original copy of The Rose Revived, which was first published in 1995, and I read that and thought it was absolutely wonderful, and then we just started buying them whenever they came out. So I've, I've got the ones with the very early front covers, which tended to be sort of painted which are rather lovely. I'd been reading her a long, long time before I ever met her. 
But I do have a couple of her books that are just my go-to for comfort and they like a big, lovely comfort blanket. And what do you think are the essential ingredients for a Katie Ford novel? I think it's that lovely warmth of her characters and the community she builds around them. And also, whenever you read them, each person has a very different job and the detail that she creates. I mean, she does an awful lot of research, and I know from reading her acknowledgements that she does, but she creates very realistic settings. You want to step into that world and you want to enjoy that world with her. I mean, her characters go through conflicts and trials, but it's all very gentle. Um, And I just think in this day and age, it's just such a nice thing to be able to do that, to step out of the real world and step into that world and enjoy people who are kind to each other, who are generous to each other. And I just I, I really like Katie's world. Can you remember when you met Katie for the first time? Well, I'd seen her at conferences And she always looked very glamorous. And I think I was still in the new writer's scheme then. And so not even published. So I wouldn't dare approach someone who was published and such a bestseller. But then I was on the RNA committee. So I had to sort of work with her. And I remember approaching her at a conference in London at Queen Mary's, I think it was. And she was so lovely and so friendly, even though I was this newbie writer that I just got off my first publishing deal. And she treated me just the same as all the other published writers. And she was so kind and so generous. And then as I got more involved in the RNA, I was the press officer for a little while. And there was one day when um, we'd fixed up a whole load of radio interviews and they were all being done out of the BBC in London. And And I had to spend a whole morning with Katie in this tiny, tiny studio. I mean, social distancing, it was not. While she did back-to-back radio interviews with huge graciousness and charm because it was a Valentine's Day feature. And as usual, there was the usual fun being poked about romantic books and romance. And wasn't it all a load of codswallop and a waste of time as these radio DJs try and sound terribly cool and trendy? And Katie just blasted it all back with the utmost charm. And she was so articulate and so wonderful. So it was a real privilege to spend those few hours with her. Now that you've got to know Katie, does that affect the voice in your head as you're reading her novels? Can you hear Katie's voice when you're reading one of her books? Uh, No, I completely lose myself in a book. I, I don't even think that I know her when I'm reading her work. Well, there was one really strange, bizarre coincidence. So I always read the acknowledgments of a book and it's a book called The French Affair. So I started reading the acknowledgments and she was saying um, thank you to a lady called Sheena who she'd based a character on, this lady, Sheena, and her sister, Jill. And as I was reading this, I'm thinking, oh, that's ringing bells. And um, she was talking about they'd taken over an antiques business, and she based the whole plot of the book on um, these two girls who'd taken over an antiques business after their father had died, and they knew nothing about antiques because Sheena had worked in PR all her life. And I was thinking, hang on. And I thought, I know Sheena. She was my boss for years. And it suddenly clicked that Katie and I knew the same person. And I just thought, what an amazing coincidence. She was my boss once upon a time and and also a very good friend. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. Now, do you have a favourite Katie Ford character? Oh, gosh, yes, I have. He is called Conan the Barbarian. That's not really his name, but that's what the heroine's nickname for him is. And the heroine is Hetty Longdon and the book is Stately Pursuits. And in fact, I'm holding a brand new copy because I lost my original copy. But it's my all-time favourite Katie Ford book. There's just something so wonderful about this book. It's basically about a girl whose well-meaning mother gives her a job 
to cure Hetty's broken heart. And she's packed off, off to great uncle Samuel's sort of stately pile that's crumbling around her ears. And well-meaning Hetty decides to launch a bid to rescue this house and to save it and does all this without any permission because Uncle Samuel's in hospital. And um, so she's going great guns and she's rallying the troops around and it's all really wonderful. And then the nephew who's about to inherit this stately pile, who doesn't want anything to do with it and would actually rather it went bankrupt, turns up and he's called Connor. He's nicknamed Conan the Barbarian. And it's all about the two of them coming to blows over her trying to keep this house going and him saying it's a waste of time and he really doesn't want her to do anything. Of course, she's doing all this behind his back. And it just makes an absolutely brilliant story. And there's something about the two of them that just have that magical chemistry that you get in some romances where you just are rooting for them to get together. So would you say that's your favourite Katie Ford novel? Oh, I don't know, because then there's Time Out, which is absolutely wonderful, about a couple that were together and then they've been separated and then they, they come across each other again. And there's the most wonderful old lady in it. I mean, Katie really does um, sort of older characters that are just charming, but also slightly acerbic. And she does those really well. And then there's another one, Wild Designs, which is all about a lady who rediscovers herself through garden design. So I don't know that I could choose. Probably Stately Pursuits just edges into the lead, but closely followed by Time Out. Does that help? (laughs) I think I'm a bit of a fan, really. Yes, well, you're definitely not alone there. Now, Katie's got her own stationery and homeware brands. Have you come across them? I did because I was invited to her book launch for A Rose Petal Summer, which I think was her book before last. And in our goodie bags, we got Katie Ford mugs. And this is my prized possession. In fact, I've got it right beside me. It's a shame you haven't got a camera, but I have it. I don't know if you can hear that. It's me chinking the china of my very lovely Katie Ford mug. So I did know that. And I did actually buy a couple of bits for my mother, who lives in New Zealand, who's also a big Katie Ford fan. So, but yes, I did know that. And I will be buying some more mugs. I've interviewed Lorna Cook for the podcast and she chose Rosamund Pilcher as her RNA60 author. And we were talking about how Rosamund Pilcher's novels were really successful in Germany and that they'd been turned into TV series. And I think that's the case for Katie too, isn't it? Oh, yes. I, le- I read her book, The um, Forgotten Village, I think it was. I absolutely loved that book. Yes. Yes, I'm, I'm, I know that you get coach loads of people turning up at the most obscure places in Cornwall or Devon who are all big fans of this German show and they've come to see a particular place and all the locals are like, but, but why are you here? Because this place has been made famous in uh, Germany. So, But yes, I, I was trying to remember the title of this book, um, the one with my friend Sheena in it, and I couldn't remember it. So I did do a bit of research on Amazon and there were loads and loads of Katie's books in German. So um, obviously a big seller there. They do like romance in Germany and it seems to not to be a dirty word in the same way that it is here. You've already talked a bit about Katie's role within the RNA, but could you just explain a bit more about how important she is to the Romantic Novelist Association and its members? So Katie's the president at the moment, and I can't think of a single occasion where she hasn't rocked up to speak on behalf of the the RNA or to be our spokesperson. Um, I mean, not only is she a very generous person, but she's very generous with her time. She's also incredibly generous in that she has given so many of us cover quotes for our books, which is very kind of her. She doesn't need to do that. And I mean, she's given me several cover quotes um, and I know other friends that she's done the same for. 
and she can talk so articulately about romance, especially with the press, because unfortunately, for some reason, it's still an easy kicking post for for journalists that uh, they can make fun of romance and, and, and run it down and denigrate it. But Katie's always able to champion it so beautifully and so charmingly that um, that's what makes her such a brilliant president for the RNA, because she's always very gentle and kind about these things, but gets her point across. She's actually got a bit of steel under there, really, and she's quite a force to be reckoned with. And Jules, just to finish, could you tell us what the RNA means to you? Um, Through the RNA, I have met some of my dearest friends, and being a member means the world to me. I think I found my tribe, is what what I I, I should really say. I found like-minded people. Not everybody's the same, but I found a core of people that when I talk about imaginary voices in my head or problems with plot, they immediately get it. And I've just clicked with so many people and made so many wonderful friends. But also, the, the organization is incredibly generous. It's very open-minded. I mean, it welcomes all colors, creeds. It doesn't matter who you are or what you are. If you're passionate about writing romance, that's the only entry ticket you need. And I don't think there are that many organizations that have such a clear, open policy. All you need is a love of romance. Jules Wake, thanks so much. It's been great to talk to you, as always, and to hear about your writing and, of course, the work of your RNA60 choice, Katie Ford. Thank you very much, Ian. It's lovely to talk to you, and I send my very best wishes to everyone in the RNA. And I'm sorry that we're all locked out of things at the moment, but I wish everybody a very happy 60th anniversary for the RNA. And, dear listener, thanks to you too for listening. Join me again soon for another episode of Romance Aloud, celebrating 60 years of the Romantic Novelists Association. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd be really grateful if you could leave us a positive review. To find out more about the Romantic Novelists Association, go to romanticnovelistassociation.org. The show notes for this episode, with more information about Jules Wake and Katie Ford, can be found at windhamaudio.com forward slash RNA. That's Wyndham, W-Y-N-D-H-A-M, audio.com forward slash RNA. Take care, and I hope you'll join me again next time. Disappear